0: You, uh, my name is Aaron Fraser. I am the intern for pastoral ministry here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Um, and Pastor Tim is on vacation this morning. Um, judging from his Facebook, I would say he's probably um, sitting on the beach, reading a book, eating a donut, singing a rap song. Um, <laughs> if, if you don't know what that means, I invite you to check out his Facebook and you'll understand all of it. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. Um, We're going to be looking at a story that Tim looked at a few weeks ago during the Reflect series, but he looked at it in Luke's account. We're going to look at it in Mark's, and we're going to look at the part before what he looked at as well. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue paperback copy in the drawer in the pew in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. It's very important that uh, we're both looking at the Scriptures to see that what I'm saying is not what I'm saying, it's what the Word of God says. Uh, One of us has authority and the other one doesn't. as many of you know, I graduated from Western Kentucky University back in May, and I remember a few semesters ago, I was, um, I was in class, and, and we're on the third floor of the building, and I get a text message that says, um, well, it, they send emergency text messages every time there's severe weather coming or some dude mugs somebody on campus. It always says that he's in a black hoodie. Um, I've never understood why, but um, we got a text message that day that said... Um, WKU alert emergency there has been an earthquake on campus exit buildings and stay at a safe distance follow instructions from authorities. Um, so, when this text comes, every student in class gets it. So, as you can imagine, everybody's freaking out. There's chaos erupting. The teacher dismisses us. We, we take off out in the hallway, and, and people are running down the hallway like Godzilla is chasing them. I think one guy leapt off the balcony to get out the door fast enough. Um, so, so, that's happening, and I'm just standing here the whole time like there was no earthquake. Like, like, I've felt an earthquake before. I, when I was in high school, I woke up at like three in the morning one night, and there, the walls were shaking, the house was rattling. Um, it lasted about 15 seconds, and it ended, and that was the end of it. Um, so I know what an earthquake feels like, and, and I'm just watching all these people running around in mass hysteria, and I'm like, there was no earthquake. So so class, I was just happy class got out. So I, I left, and, and we're all going down the stairs. We get to the first floor, and we walk to the door, and we all get another text. And I don't have a picture of this one, but it, it had two words in it, drill only. And I'm just sitting here thinking, Western, you, you could have told us that a little earlier. I mean, I knew it wasn't a drill, but these other people didn't. Um, i tell you that story in order to show you that, that how you... Um, what you believe about something will determine how you respond to it. Um, So if you believe in ghosts, you'll be freaked out by the octagon house down the road. If you don't believe in ghosts like me, you look at that and you're like, man, you all took an awesome historical monument and you turned it into a ghost museum. Um, If you believe in government conspiracy theories, you'll probably be questionable of everything you see in the news. Um, and, And who you believe Jesus to be will determine how you respond to him. Um, so, so, Mark chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 27, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, And Peter went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Everybody in the world who's ever heard of Jesus has an opinion about him. Um, many say he's a good man, that they would actually put him on about the same level as Buddha, Muhammad, or even us, us, all of us in here. Um, some say he's a good moral teacher, um, although they don't really believe that because if he was a good moral teacher, they would follow the good morals that he taught. Um, many, some say he's an imposter, that, that all the stuff that, he, that the Bible records that Jesus said, he actually did say, but then he died, and that kind of put a damper on all of it. Um, some would say he did not exist, which if I could just speak to that for a second. Um, can we admit the Roman Empire was legit? I mean, 1,500 years reigned the majority of Europe, North Africa, and some of the Middle East. They, they did this for fifteen years. 1,500 years. That's how far Caesar's empire went for that long. There's roads in Rome that they built during the Roman empire that they still drive on today. Like, we can't fix the potholes in our Chick-fil-A parking lot. So, so this is how far the Roman empire went. Yet Jesus' influence has lasted 2,000 years, 500 years more, and it's still going today. It hasn't run out. And, and if, if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't have hospitals, we wouldn't have universities, we wouldn't have orphanages, and one could argue we wouldn't have the United States. Um, and, and this all happened because of Jesus leading Christians to do it. It's hard to say he didn't exist. If you say he's not the son of God, I, I can kind of understand that. But saying he didn't walk the earth is highly unlikely. Um, if you're a Muslim, you would say Jesus is a good prophet, um, that, that he was one of the many great religious figures, but he did not die on the cross. The, the thing is, though, Jesus is mentioned many times outside the New Testament in historical record, and the one thing that pops up in almost all of them is that Jesus was crucified. Um, If you're a Hindu, you would say Jesus is a manifestation of God, that God um, manifests himself, appears to people in different forms, in different ways, at different times, and Jesus is one of those manifestations. So um, Muhammad and and Vishnu and um, Allah and and all those are, are all manifestations of God, and Hindus will worship Jesus alongside all of them. Um, if you're a Republican, you'll say Jesus is for small government, he hates the IRS, and he believes that every American should have the right to have a firearm. If you're a Democrat, you believe Jesus supports equality. How many of you have heard of a band called King Missile? Okay, none of you, that's okay. I hadn't either until just recently. Um, King Missile is an American band, and they wrote a song um, several years ago called Jesus Was Way Cool. And I want to read to the lyrics to the song. It says, Jesus was way cool. Everybody liked Jesus. Everybody wanted to hang out with him. Anything he wanted to do, he did. He turned water into wine. If he had wanted to, he could have turned wheat into marijuana or sugar into cocaine or vitamin pills into amphetamines. He walked on the water and swam on the land. He would tell these stories and people would listen. He was really cool. If you were blind or lame, you just went to Jesus, and he would put his hands on you, and you would be healed. That's so cool. He could have played guitar better than Hendrix. He could have told the future. He could have baked the most delicious cake in the world. He could have scored more goals than Wayne Gretzky. That shows you how old the song is. Uh, he could have danced better than Baryshnikov. Jesus could have been funnier than any comedian you can think of. Jesus was way cool. He told people to eat his body and drink his blood. That's so cool. Jesus was so cool. But then some people got jealous of how cool he was, so they killed him. But then he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, danced around, then went up to heaven. I mean, that's so cool. Jesus was way cool. No wonder there's so many Christians. That's the song. It's not bad. It's not good, but it could have been a lot worse. Um... And What I worry is that, is that the majority of the American population has that view of Jesus, that song right there. The, yeah, we'll say he walked on water and, and turned water into wine, even rose from the dead, but he's just this way cool guy that we think would be cool to hang out with. Um, he, he's become like a storybook character or a superhero to us. It, it's like he's Spider-Man, that children look up to him, he's in books and movies, and when he's in the box office, we'll go see it. But aside from that, we really don't think that much about him. Um, Many would call him their Lord and Savior, although I think most many who call him that don't understand the implications of that. Because it's not simply you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you, you don't go to hell and you get to hang out with your relatives forever in heaven. It's that if Jesus is your Lord, that means he is over and in control of everything you do in your life. Like not just your church time, like he has the say in what you eat, where you work, what you do with your free time, and even the most mundane things that we don't even think about that we, when we do, like brushing our teeth. Now I know that sounds silly, but, but if Jesus is our Lord, I think we need to ask the question, am I brushing my teeth in a way that says that Jesus is my Lord? Um, all these views that I've had up here, some of them are, are, are true, some of them of Jesus are true, but, but none of them are enough. None of them are enough when you're looking at who Jesus is. Um, because Jesus is more than a, than a moral teacher. He, he's not just someone that you can use to back up your political views. He's something more. So, so what did the, um, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave him three answers. All of which are noble answers, the good answers, but they're not enough. Um, they say John the Baptist. Um, Jesus said in, in Matthew that that. No one on earth had been born who was better than John the Baptist, who was greater than him. So if you're going to get compared to a guy in in Jesus' time, I think that's a pretty good one. But it's not enough. Um, They say Elijah. Now, in my opinion, Elijah is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Like, the guy didn't die. You know you're doing well when God doesn't kill you? He sends a chariot of fire to take you up to heaven. But it's not enough that Jesus is Elijah. Um, They say one of the prophets... Um, Jewish tradition at the time said that Jeremiah, when, when the uh, Jews were taken into captivity and put in slavery, Jeremiah had escaped and went up to the mountains. And, and he was there, and one day he was going to return on the scene. And so maybe they thought that's who Jesus was. But it's not enough that Jesus is Jeremiah or any other prophet. Um, so, so Jesus asked the disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? This is where it gets personal. And Peter steps up for him and he says, You're the Christ. Um, and you're probably cheering Peter on right there. But um, hold off before you do that. Because after Jesus is called the Christ, he looks at the disciples, and this happens in Mark, Matthew, and Luke when this story's told. He looks at the disciples and says, don't tell anyone about that. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I thought we were supposed to tell the whole world about Jesus. Yet he says, don't tell a soul that I am the Christ. Why? Well, Christ is not Jesus' last name. You don't go to a phone book and search CHR and find Jesus Christ, 270-821-0434. You don't do it. Um, So so Jesus, um, the Christ is a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, basically the anointed one, someone who's going to come and save the world. So, So that's who Peter and the disciples understand Jesus to be, but they have a wrong understanding of what the Savior of the world means. Um, because the Jews of the day thought that the Messiah was going to be this political, military ruler who came in and wiped out Rome. Rome was holding the Jews in captivity, and they thought the Messiah was going to come and save them from that, make them free, and give them their kingdom back. But, but that's not the idea Jesus has of who the Messiah is going to be. Um, He says, tell no one because he's not going to be this political military ruler who takes out Rome. And if they start going around reporting that to people, then all the Jews are going to rally around Jesus and say, let's go take Rome right now. Often what you see in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus will perform a miracle. He'll heal somebody. He'll turn, he'll feed the 5,000. And then everyone's praising God. But then he says, don't tell anyone about this. Now, they always go and tell, but, but he says don't. And then... Um, he gets on trial, he gets arrested in chapter 14, and he's before the council of elders, and they say, are, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he says, I am. So, so the whole gospel, he said, don't tell anyone about me. And then he's on trial, and he, and he brings out his identity. Um, something had to be completed first. Something had to take place before he could reveal himself. And that's that he had to be standing before the men who were going to kill him before he could reveal who he was going, who he is. Um, but, but Jesus doesn't call himself the Christ in this passage. He calls himself something else. He calls himself the Son of Man. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man in, over 80 times in the four Gospels combined. It was his favorite title for himself. But what's it mean? It's not a reference to Jesus' humanity. People say the Son of Man is, is Jesus' human side and the Son of God is his divine side. But but no Jew in the day would have thought Jesus was referring to himself being a man by calling himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a reference to an Old Testament passage um, that, that all the Jews would have known. It's Daniel chapter 7. And um, I, I want to read the passage. You don't have to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. But um, give you a context of what's going on here. Daniel has just had a vision of four beasts, a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dragon with ten heads. Um, ten horns, excuse me, and basically, um, what we learn later is that these um, these are going to be four kings who arise, who have a really harsh rule. They're really nasty kings. They're enslaving humanity, and they're not guys you want to have tea with. Um, so, um, the fourth beast is going to make war on the saints until something happens, and that's this scene in Daniel seven. Um, so, I'm going to read it starting in verse nine through fourteen. It says i watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge his clothing was as white as snow his hair like purest wool he sat on a fiery throne with wills of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out flowing from his presence millions of angels ministered to him and many millions stood to attend him then the court began its session and the books were opened I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people from every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And so this is a scene of judgment. These four kings have been brought before God, and God's going to take their rule away from them. And he gives all authority to the Son of Man, who Jesus is claiming to be here. So, so all the kingdoms of the world are destroyed, and the Son of Man takes his place over all the nations. Um, and, and this is why, this is what Jesus were, was referring to when he was calling himself the Son of Man. And you can bet that every Jew of the day knew exactly what he was talking about. He's not simply calling himself a human. He's saying, I'm the king of the world. Um, so, so in Matthew, or in Mark 14, when, when I mentioned that he, he reveals his identity on trial, he, he's, he says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. So he's bringing Christ and Son of God together into a glorious title for himself. Um, and so, how does he say that he's going to become the Son of Man? He, um, he says, I'll suffer, I'll be rejected, and I'll die. But then I'm going to rise again. And that's exactly what he does. He goes to Jerusalem, he gets beaten with a whip. He gets a crown of thorns put on his head, stripped naked and nailed to a cross for all the world to see. And God places sin on him and pours out judgment and wrath on Jesus, crushing him and killing him. And Jesus is put into a tomb, and three days later, he walks out alive, and he has all the authority that Daniel 7 talks about from his resurrection. The Jews thought that the Messiah was going to come and save the world with military force, but Jesus stopped Rome in a different way. He became a greater king than Caesar had ever been. And he, um, we, we can have comfort in knowing that Jesus is king of the world because... All the governments of the world that we're so critical of, Jesus is a higher king than all of them. So the Sudanese government, who's been really being harsh to a sister in Christ over the past few months, Jesus is greater than that kingdom. The Nigerian government, who is searching for the girls who've been kidnapped, Jesus is greater than that kingdom. Um, He's holding all the rulers of the world in his hand Barack Obama and Kim Jong-il and Gaddafi and Vladimir Putin And all those guys are in Jesus' hand And he is greater than their rule So Jesus is so much more than a good moral teacher He's so much more than a religious figure He's so much more than any stereotype that our culture puts on him He's the son of man So how do we respond to that? Well, Jesus tells us in, in the end of the passage. He says, you got to deny yourself, you got to take up your cross, and you got to follow me. Um, do you understand the context of this calling now? He just said, I'm going to go and suffer and be rejected and be killed. So he's basically saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a Christian, you got to come with me. Because that's where we're going. So the question is, are you willing to follow this Jesus? Well, if you are, here's what you have to do deny yourself. Um, d- does that mean that you deny yourself of chocolate or a smartphone or any, anything else? Well, perhaps, but not necessarily. Um, it, it means that I'm no longer living for Aaron Fraser. I'm living for Jesus. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for Jesus. So all your goals and dreams in life are under his authority. Um, so, so if um, a smartphone or chocolate or anything else in your life is going to cause your relationship with Jesus to grow stagnant and backslide, then yes, get rid of it. Deny yourself of it. Get it out of your life because you're destroying yourself and your relationship with Jesus. But if it's not, then there's no problem. Um, then Jesus says, "Take up your cross." Now, now in our day, this maybe doesn't have as much of an effect because. Um, we wear crosses on our necklaces, we get them in earrings, uh, guys get them tattooed on their arms, um, but in Jesus' day, you wouldn't have done that. Um, that would be the equivalent of today, wearing a necklace with an electric chair on it, or getting a gas chamber tattooed on your arm. You just wouldn't do it, because it was an instrument of torture. It was They nailed people to it and let them die there. Um, so when Jesus is saying, take up your cross, he, he's pretty much saying, take um, I'm about to go be crucified. If you want to follow me, take your cross up. We're, we're going. That's, that's where we're going to end up. Um, so what's this mean practically? It means that Jesus is Lord and you follow him no matter the cost and no matter where that leads. It means that you have the mentality that it would be better to die than to not follow Jesus. Jesus. And then he finally says, follow me. It's that denying yourself and taking up your cross leads to following Jesus. Um, and, and that's the call that he gives is follow me. It's not um, that's, that's, that's the call we always see in the, in the Bible that Jesus gives. It's not a lot of what, what people use today. Um, invite Christ into your life. Accept Jesus into your heart. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, people have certainly come to faith off those, but sometimes I think they do more damage than good. Um, because The New Testament never uses any of those phrases, Um, and the problem is that it creates a idea of being a Christian that you make a decision, and that's it. You're saved from hell, have a good life, but if we don't emphasize that it's a life of following Jesus until you die or he returns, we don't create biblical Christians. Jesus, you don't invite Jesus into your life, he invites you into his. He's already come and said, follow me, and now you have to respond to that. Jesus doesn't want your acceptance, he wants your surrender. He'll be the son of man, the king of kings, whether you accept him or not. He wants you to surrender to that. Um, The first time I ever shared my faith um, was in high school. And and me and my best friend at the time decided we'd go to downtown Madisonville, where I'm from, and we would just walk up to people and talk to them about about their faith and who Jesus was. Um, So I remember the first guy we walked up to was this elderly gentleman that was sitting on a bench. And um, I I walked up to him and we were just chit-chatting with him at first. And then I just put my cards on the table. I said, sir, we're Christians. We're out talking to people about their faith. Uh, Are you a Christian? And I'll never forget what he said to me. Yeah, I did that a long time ago. You what? If the last time you took up the cross was a long time ago, you're not following Jesus. You're not. Luke's passage actually says take your cross up daily. So it's a daily thing of, of choosing to die to yourself and follow Jesus. Um. And then Jesus says, whoever loses his life will save it. Maybe you don't really understand that. How can you lose your life and save it? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're conditioned to think that because we live in the United States where um, the, the, the opposite ideology is taught where you're told to um, pursue the highest good for yourself that you possibly can, make it big, make the big time. Um, I, I remember graduation in May. Um all the, all the seniors, all the college seniors get out there in the in Dill Arena, and they get the um, faculty of WKU up there to, to give them a motivational speech and tell them to go out and get the world by the tail and take off. Um, and I remember the two things they left us with. Follow your heart and pursue the American dream. Um, don't follow your heart. Jeremiah 17 says your heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? If you follow your heart, you're going to end up in some bad places. Um, but pursue the American dream. What, what, what does that mean? Um, well, basically, we're, we're taught from that perspective that that you um, pursue the highest paid position in your organization so you can sit back in your office with your feet up on the desk and everyone waits on you. You get all the money that you can possibly get. You get the nicest house and the nicest car that you can possibly imagine and you live for yourself and make it big. But I tell you, if you had all of that, you wouldn't be satisfied. You'd still want more. You would still want so much more. That's why celebrities so often turn to drugs, because they have all that money and they don't know what to do with themselves. In 1998, Paul McCartney's wife, Linda, died. Some of you younger people may not know who Paul McCartney is. Ask your parents later. Um, But she died. Newsweek magazine wrote an article about her death. And and I want to read you the final line from the article. It says, The McCartneys had all the money in the world enough to afford their privacy, enough to give them a beautiful view, but all the money in the world wasn't enough to keep her alive. Um, Now, does that sound like another statement we've heard somewhere before? Um, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Um, I'm not saying at all where where Linda McCartney is. She might be in heaven. She might be in hell. I I never met the woman. I don't know anything about her. But I think her life serves as an example that you can have so much riches and die and none of it matter. Like everything you own right now is the stuff of future garage sales, junkyards, and dumps. Every single possession you own right now is going to end up in one of those three places at some point. So... So don't follow the American dream, follow Jesus. Um, now, Jesus calls us to forget about that life and come after him. Now, that does not mean that you live the life of a monk. That, that does not mean that you can't work a job or even take promotions. That doesn't mean you can't have a, a car or a house or money. But, but you're not owned by any of those things. You're not selling out to any of those things. You're not defined by any of those things. You're defined and owned By Jesus alone. And He's a better life than anything the American dream will ever offer you or ever give you. So, how did my classmates respond to that earthquake text? They freaked out, thought the world was coming to an end, jumping off the balcony. They didn't actually jump off the balcony, but that's a funny thing. Um, but But I knew that it wasn't, I knew it was a drill. So I really wasn't that worried about it. I was happy. Class had ended early and I took off out to my dorm. Um, I knew it wasn't a drill. But this is not a drill. Jesus is alive. The ground has shaken. His stone has rolled away. He's walked out as the king of kings, the son of man. And he calls you to surrender everything you have of yourself to be his disciple. Um, and, And this doesn't mean that you just believe that he exists. Every intoxicated guy I've ever met on the street believes Jesus existed. Um, but he calls you to surrender everything to him so, so that you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So that's what I want to call you to today, to surrender to him. Um, some of you absolutely maybe aren't followers of Jesus. You need to surrender to follow him. He, he's standing in front of you and saying, follow me. Are you going to respond to that? Are you going to take up your cross and come after him? Um, but, but there's many of you in here who are followers of Jesus. And, and even the most faithful follower of Jesus has to continue laying stuff down, has to continue surrendering to him, has to continue following. So, so maybe some of you need to surrender to pick your cross up again after a long time of not following him. Maybe you're like that guy that I talked to on the bench who uh, you did it a long time ago. Well, Jesus expects you to be there at the end, so, so pick the cross up and come, come on again. Um, maybe some of you need to surrender to show love to your spouse the way Christ loves you. Um, if you're honest with yourself, um, you're, you're married and, and you love, you would say that you love your spouse, but it doesn't really represent Ephesians 5, the way the Bible talks about Christ in the church representing uh, husband and wife. Maybe some of you need to surrender to, to love your parents or your children or your relatives better the way Christ loves you. If you were honest with yourself, you you don't really show love to your family. You just kind of exist around them. Uh, Maybe some of you need to reconcile a disagreement with a friend that you had a long time ago. You have a broken relationship in your life, and Jesus calls you to go to that person and make it right. Maybe you need to surrender to do that. Maybe you need to surrender to a sin in your life that you're living in or struggling with, and say, Jesus, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to hold on to you. That sin might still grab me by the ankle, but I trust you to hold on to me and fight it for me maybe some of you need to surrender to your own pride. That, that Some of you, it, you may not live, you may not say it directly, but you maybe live your life as though you're the best thing since the sixth day of creation. But, but the sooner you step out of that and the sooner you surrender away from that and, and realize that the world's not all about you, the sooner you're going to be free from an exhaustive, miserable life realizing that the world's not about you. Maybe you need to surrender to go plant a church with our 2020 network. That, that Woodburn Baptist Church is planning to plant 20 churches by 2020. We've planted four. We've still got a lot of work to do. Maybe God's calling you to, to leave this church and go somewhere and plant that church and, um, and see that happen. Um, are you willing to surrender to that? Maybe some of you need to surrender to be on mission in your own neighborhood, that your neighbors do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you need to go to them and tell them about it, and live life with them, and start those relationships around the gospel. Maybe some of you need to go on mission overseas. Maybe you need to surrender to that, that God's telling you to leave the United States and go Overseas and tell people about the gospel. And and maybe you're scared to do that. Maybe you're being called to a place that you um, are scared to go and that the people in your life are discouraging you away from going because it's so dangerous. But are you willing to surrender to Jesus over what your loved ones would say and go there? Uh, Maybe it's something else. I don't know what um, you need to surrender today. Um, But what I do know is that when you see the beauty of the Son of Man There is nothing you will not be willing to lay down at his feet, surrendering to him. So my final question for you today is, when Jesus returns with the clouds of heaven, with the glory of his Father and all the holy angels to judge the entire world, will you be found at his feet saying, Jesus, I surrender everything I have and everything I am to you because you offer me so much of a better life than I will ever get anywhere else. Let's pray. Father, Jesus is the Son of Man, and right now, millions of angels are ministering to him around the throne, and and he is preparing to, to one day come in the clouds and judge the entire world. And Father, those who have followed Him and are His disciples, have His grace, and will not suffer condemnation, Father, because they um, found life in Him, eternal life. And Father, I pray that You will lead us all to continually growing in that, or grow, or receiving it for the first time if we haven't. Father, I pray for every person here, and I pray that they would surrender to You um, whatever the Holy Spirit is telling them to lay down, that they will do it now, that they won't even think about waiting until they get home because the odds are when they get there, they won't do it. Father, I pray that you will lead them to surrender right now and to lay that down and to walk out of here loving you and following you better than they did when they came in. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a time to respond today.